Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello. Hello. So we're recording this at yeah. We need a disclaimer. It's Friday a disclaimer. Afternoon. It's Friday late afternoon. We are feeling spacey. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best word for it. Yeah. And we also took a long time. We just we're taking a while to do things and put words together. Today. The thing is, Steph's child is about to be taken <laughs> to a very fancy restaurant, and we you need to pick him up before he's taken there. But he's with Josh, and oh, he's, he's safe. on the move. He's fine. He, uh, it's just he's, he could of potentially course he's safe. I'm, I'm, from I was me. joking, like just imagining Harvey <laughs> having it. Obviously, not. It's not funny because children, babies should not drink alcohol. But I just <laughs> was imagining Harvey at a fancy at restaurant with mm-hmm. a nice suit on, which. No, he needs to go to bed. So it's <laughs> probably in his feet. But anyway, we have got a very exciting kick. Well, exciting probably not the Wait, right way. Are you skipping great- the whole normal part <laughs> of the intro? Are no. you like? <laughs> I, it's very wow. exciting this kickbot like we know that everyone has been wanting this one with Liv but before we get into that yeah. <laughs> let's do the the normal things <laughs> like I I'm not here for this it's because it was only a couple of days ago I recorded for the kick bump episode and I'm used to talking to myself now and I'm oh, really trying to so hide that I am <laughs> just not needed Seth's <laughs> like okay so I'm doing the kick bump pod's doing really well so maybe <laughs> Laura, you are the weakest no. link. Goodbye. I thoroughly enjoyed having show? you here. I do. Was it Pauline Hanson? Yes. That, was it? Mm-hmm. No. Anyway, it that's was not all. Pauline Hanson. <laughs> oh my God. Politician. <laughs> you know what? The only thing they have in common is that they're sh- both redheads, I think. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's so bad. <laughs> that is. That's really bad. bad. Things you've said. Oh okay, sorry. What's your special share? Reset. How are you? And what is your special share of the week? I'm good. I'm good. We've had, a, we've had a very exciting week at Kick. So I'm like ending the week on a high, but as you said, <laughs> mentally exhausted too. Um, I do have a special share. Actually, Great. it is a Kick workout. It's a Pilates flow that I hadn't done before until the other day. And it may be one of my favorites. So oh. I wanted to share it because I think, yeah, I mean, we obviously try a lot before everything goes into the app, but with the workouts obviously there is hundreds of them and we're not in every single one of them and this one I was so excited to try because it sounded like my kind of workout and you know what after I tried it I was like yep I'm gonna favorite it it's called cardio resistance it's one of Mari's cardio pilates classes all you need is a mini kind of one of those booty band glute bands things um and it was so great it was kind of a little bit of burn on the shoulders abs but mainly it really targets your glutes and I, I really, really loved it. So that is my special share. Fantastic. Mm. Thank you for that special <laughs> share. I actually know that one and I like it. Mm, it's good. So I've been doing it in private, <laughs> not sharing my love for it with you because <laughs> you would like <laughs> doing it in private. <laughs> you know? Wow. Okay. So do you want to know mine? Yep. Okay. So mine comes – it's a funny one. First of all, it's from – so it's not the exact uh, recommendation of that I was recommended by Zara on <laughs> Shameless, but it's a um, continuance of that. Okay. So Zara recommended an episode of the Diary of a CEO podcast mm-hmm. with Stephen Bartlett. He is the CEO and it's his diary. Okay. <laughs> anyway, 
It's not money. It's like a really normal podcast, but anyway, an inspiring podcast. Uh, this is a different episode on his podcast, but mm. it reminded me, Zara, Zara reminded me of his podcast. Oh, <laughs> go back and listen to it. And there was a really good episode with um, – is it Brene Brown? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is with Jay Shetty, actually. Okay. Thank you very much. Nice. And yeah, it's nice. called The Three Simple Things a Happy Life Needs. Now, it is a very long podcast. It's an hour and 50 minutes. Disclaimer, I've actually still got 10 minutes to go. I didn't realise it's really long. But it has some really, really good pieces of advice and, and just in there from Jay. Jay's fantastic, Jay Shetty. He's got his own podcast mm. as well. Um, really recommend that. And his He's just got advice about living a more, I suppose, ways to bring joy into your life, which I really love because mm. um, we all, all live very, very, very busy lives. There is – this is where the disclaimer comes in. There's some parts of this episode and there's some – the one – the reason I think I went off this podcast is because sometimes I find um, Stephen's life really unrelatable mm-hmm. and unattainable and sometimes he speaks to that only and I, I'm like, I, I don't – Just can't relate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But there are some – so there is a little bit of that. There's one part of the podcast that I didn't love, but the most part of it I really, really enjoyed mm. um, and it has some great – yeah, the two of them together, are, they're very inspirational people. So, nice. yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, now some more clear things. Exciting. Some recommendations that yes. I fully recommend the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Uh, we've got some kick recommendations. Kick oh, – Do you want me to take over? Wow. <laughs> Kick updates, kick updates. Am I drunk? No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, my god! I just want to say, disclaimer, we haven't had a bottle of wine. We sound, <laughs> I sound like I... <laughs> all right, so those kick announcements, very, very exciting. First of all, you can win your way to the kick tour. So we are giving away two tickets, flights, and accommodation for you and a friend to join us at the Brisbane kick tour. Plus, you'll get kitted out in my latest Adidas collection. So Amazing. That's good too. Um, and we'll pop the link on how to enter that in our show notes. And Kick Merch whoop, whoop. is live. I can see you wearing the T-shirt right now. So the merch, we did merch a while ago with the Keep It Cleaner jumpers and tees, which mm. thank you for the support on that. With this one, we have got much less quantities. It's a new type. It's a fun merch. It doesn't yeah, it's limited edition. It's got limited. <laughs> sorry, That's wow. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> it is limited edition. Yeah. So if you really like it, get in quick because it might sell up. But we're quickly. not supreme, okay? Oh, my God. Don't think that we are. <laughs> okay. And what do we have? We have a t-shirt, a jumper. And socks. The socks are really cute. Okay. Oh, Disclaimer but. on the socks. You have to be at least a size <laughs> a 39. Foot, like yeah. Me. I would say you have to at least be a 39. Um, I mean, unless you just want to wear them around the house. It's just that they're definitely for a bigger foot. Yes. Yeah. Size nine. Also, you can buy it on our Kick website. That's probably another information that we <laughs> did not That'll let be go in our of. show notes too. I am having a meltdown right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Now, for today's episode, today's episode, which you've already, I feel like you already feel like you've been on a roller coaster today. And don't worry, the unpredictableness of a roller coaster is about to end because we have now got a guest who is wonderful. We have got Liv Morrison, who is our Keeper Cleaner dietitian. She is a book of, I actually called her this at the end of the podcast, mm. and I also. I'm really marking this interrupt. She's wisdom. She's like a book of wisdom, wisdom. but also digestible, relatable, the way that she speaks about. And I mean, it's obviously why um, we we work with Liv at Kick. She really embodies the Keeper Cleaner values um, in everything that she does. And she has got some incredible information today. 
about uh, IBS in particular, so gut health, and then we also touch on at the start intuitive eating and how to get in the mindset and change your mindset around food and think about food as fuel as opposed to a number. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Liv, thank you so much for joining us in person. It's the first in-person podcast we've done. I know. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me, guys. I had that weird moment when I saw you. I was like, I know you obviously (laughs) so well and we've spoken to you so many times and it was actually the first time we even got to meet in person. I know. I didn't even introduce myself. I was just like, hey, babe, how are you going? (laughs) That's what happens when you have – because you've started working with us since – Ages I, ago, I over that, a year ago. It, yeah, but since the pandemic's yeah, been around. So I, I think it was been, even before, but we just didn't have anything. And then we had the pandemic yeah. and yeah. then we've literally just met each other over Zoom. So this is lovely to <laughs> meet you in real life <laughs> and be recording this podcast. Um, and so today we wanted to chat to you about a few things. So we wanted to touch back on intuitive eating, changing our mindset around food. I think it's such an – we have covered it before a little bit together, but it's a topic that always comes up and I think for a lot of us it's so nice to have that reminder and you are so good at speaking about it and we would love to talk about that and then we'd love to talk about gut health and IBS in particular because you have created some incredible IBS friendly FODMAP friendly recipes to go into kick so we wanted to touch on that if that's okay as well. Absolutely. Fantastic. So <laughs> to start with, um, we wanted to chat all about intuitive eating and just our, as I said our mindset around food. So when um, also a big thank you to all of you listening for your mm. questions that you sent in they were fantastic for Liv uh, and something that came in a lot was how do we know how much food is enough for us yeah is and that like really asking common. how long is a piece of string <laughs> kind of yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and I mean the main thing that I think that that's a really common thing that I get really regularly with my patients, just people generally in the community that I talk to, um, because it is a little bit confusing. And I think that social media has made it really difficult to understand that and trust ourselves because of it. There is a lot of information out there or like photos, and then we have an, maybe an assumption or we see people's day on the plate and things like that that we've kind of talked about before that we don't really like um, that shows you how much you should be eating when realistically every day it's completely different. You use different amounts of energy every day, hunger changes every day in response to that and a lot of things should be impacting your hunger like that you might not be kind of thinking about like stress, for mm-hmm. example, how much you've slept, where you're at if you're a female or a person with your period in terms of your menstrual mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. Like when you're leading up into it, you should find that you have increased hunger because we're using a bit more energy as well. We have different forms of energy use at that time too. Um, so there's a lot of things that will be impacting it in terms of how much you should eat. But generally, if you want to know if you're doing okay versus if you need to have more or less or whatever, there should be symptoms there is things like energy levels, like mm. are you needing a nap in the you know, midday, end of the day? Maybe we need to have a little bit more fuel. Are you increasing your exercise? Are you getting headaches? Are you getting blurred vision? That can also be a sign of like lower blood sugars and that you need a snack if you're not getting that obvious like hunger signal because hunger signals and our recognition of them can be lost over like time, particularly with long-term dieting or restriction. Um, so... Yeah, there's generally symptoms like that will probably come up a bit more for you if if you're not having enough or you're having too much is more of an indication to see. Yes, I love what you said there, Liv. And I think as well with 
our bodies and how we feel. And I mean, Steph and I have both been through our own struggles with our relationship with the scales, which we both don't have a fantastic... Oh, I don't know, Steph, do you have a good relationship now? I just avoid them. Yeah, I don't, I just don't use them. And I think because I'm in a really good place now personally, but even still as someone who's really comfortable with the way they are, I can still get on scales and remember what I once was. And that was like, you know, 10 kilos lighter than I am now. And that still somehow affects me, even though I don't care. So yeah, I just avoid them completely. Would you explain it as, you know, getting to a point where you can enjoy your life, food is not controlling your life, you're not thinking about it 24-7, you, you know, if you forget your lunch, you're comfortable ordering lunch and not, you're not worried about it and you're not, you know, you'll go out with your friends, you'll have cake or whatever it might be um, and you can sustain is that how you kind of – because I think it's just really important to work out the difference and maybe for you to talk to this between like thinking about those clothes that we used to fit into and now our bodies have matured or, you know, we might have put on weight or whatever and we might have a new weight range and that that's okay? Yeah, I think that that's what you just – the weight range thing, I think that's the thing. I would love you to touch on that because I think that's this misconception that um, – you know, there's there's one healthy looking body type. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't look like that, what society puts out there is the healthiest looking body type. If you don't look like that, then, you know, that's when you need to look at what you're eating. But that's not the case, is it? No. Yeah. No. From my opinion, okay, I've got so much to speak on this and so many <laughs> and so many parts. Generally, as a dietitian, if I'm looking in terms of a consult, there'd be few and far between people that I would actually weigh or measure. Mm. If you're coming to see me for healthy weight loss advice or healthy eating advice or in, in that aspect, yeah, you wouldn't be weighed. Because realistically, like what I would question if you're someone at home weighing yourself or have the scales around, do you before you step on, how, is, there, is there anxiety? Yeah. Like how are you feeling prior? Is yeah. it a completely positive experience? unlikely regardless of where you're at in your journey and how you're feeling it's not common to feel good prior to stepping on and then once you've stepped on even if for example what I will say is that if someone has still lost weight and they've stepped on the scales and it's a healthy amount of weight it still can turn into a negative Mm. right because it shows you how much further you've got to go Mm. and Maybe that can also increase, you know, feelings of having to restrict and do more or, um, you know, you just kind of relapse and you let go of all those healthy kind of habits that you've kind of put in because of that number and it really has no indication of health or weight in itself. It's just gravity. That's all it is. (laughs) Drink a coffee, you'll go up 400 grams literally straight away. Like (laughs) that's how much. If you pee, 200 grams down. Like that's all it is. And I don't want people to come in and see me and talk to me and be like, I haven't eaten today because I know I'm going to get weighed. Like Mm. it's just ridiculous. Mm. You should see a healthy fluctuation on the scales. That is a really healthy sign of metabolism. If you're seeing the scales drop down every single time, it's – a sign that you're not necessarily having healthy weight loss. It's a sign that you'll be more likely burning muscle or protein because when we overcook an egg or fish or chicken, whatever that protein is, water will come out. Exactly the same in the body. If you're breaking down muscle because your deficit or the amount of energy that you're having is too restricted compared to where you started, you'll see kind of like an illusion of weight loss on the scales, but it's a lot of water, which like signifies to me that you're losing muscle you're not necessarily healthily burning fat Mm. and that's from that like survival mechanism that we're just genetically built for as hunters and gatherers like we want to conserve 
fat because it's really important over anything else. So if you're doing too much, that would be a sign that if you are looking at the scales and that's dropping down, it's not going to end well and it's not a healthy form of weight loss. But I generally don't recommend them because even what you were saying before, like depending on the time of day, depending on where you are in your cycle, there's other things like if you're eating out on a weekend, we generally have changes in sleep. We have changes in the amount of salt that we eat. We have alcohol as well. We don't yeah. drink as much water, fibre, exercise. All of those things also impact the scales mm. and water retention in the body. 100%. So generally people will be the highest at the start of the week on a Sunday and a Monday and lowest on a Friday because they've got their normal kind of patterned regular eating through the weekdays. So it's really not comparable. Yeah. You might have a two kilo difference, but that is not fat. That's just water changes in the body from so many different things. So I think that going off how your clothes fit, but also letting go of those where we used to be, like it's really sad because I do still see women that are in their 50s, 60s that are comparing themselves to their teenage self mm. or their early 20s self and that is still normalised. Like I used to be 50 kilos. Babe, that was 40 years ago. Mm. Come on. But it's it's that society is kind of ingrained in us that mm. we can't change from that kind of childlike state which Mm. is ridiculous like we need fat for estrogen Mm. if we don't have enough fat on our body we will have hormonal changes that will affect us right Mm. so there's a reason why we gain a little bit more weight underneath our belly button around our like you know um reproductive hormones it's because it helps out with our estrogen levels which is really really important for like our mental health as well so yeah, I think um, even just questioning how that stuff makes you feel, where you're at with that is actually really, really important for like long-term progress and feeling good about yourself and having a healthy relationship with like food and your body. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think everything that you just said then, it's just like I feel like I'm just like nodding along because I agree to so much and it, it is stuff that I've kind of dealt with myself and on my own journey and everything like that. And in, and I do agree. I think there is this this pressure of women going back and looking like they did when they were a child. I've been through that exact, that exact same pressure. So um, I'm glad you mentioned it. One thing that did come through, which obviously it would be quite a common one for those who had gone through things like disordered eating. I know it's something that I struggled with when I was coming through um, getting over binge eating, but that guilt around eating, uh, even if they're eating when they're hungry, but just the guilt around eating in general and then also just feeling worried and concerned all the time about what they're eating. Yeah, I think a big thing to start with when you're trying to kind of nut this area out because it's not easy mm. and everyone has different like triggers with it, I guess, to an extent. That's not a good word for it, but I mean things that will kind of catch them more than other things as well or situations, whether it's social or time of day or whatever it may be. But I think that a big thing to kind of overcome guilt in response to food is to question logically why, right? So one big thing that I get all of my patients to do, all of, and it doesn't matter who you are, is to actually start practicing logically tracing things back as opposed to kind of focusing on a sense like that is impacting their sense of self. So kind of taking it away from it being that you've done something wrong and that why did you do that? You shouldn't be hungry right now. You've eaten, look how much you've eaten today. 
realistically, hunger does not work like that. Hunger is an indicative of like the quality of your meal. I mean, if you've got a nice, healthy, balanced meal, it's that's a big, important part. But if you're missing kind of certain areas, certain food groups, that can also impact your hunger levels and how long you're going to have that long-winded energy for, which will, you know, change how quickly you get hungry or not. And also in saying that, just because you've balanced your meal and you might have had all of those kind of key ingredients, maybe you need a little bit more food, Mm. right? We burn different amounts of energy all the time and so you're going to have different amounts of hunger. So having the same thing or the kind of perception that I think a lot of media has kind of pushed that you should have, okay, every day we have this amount for breakfast, this amount for a snack, this is for lunch and rah, 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 and that should kind of keep you... Mm like sorted or even like calorie tracking apps like this is how much you need per day and all of that realistically does not work long term because it makes no logical sense compared to physiology Mm. so yeah understanding that it's okay but to get yourself out of that mindset and logically tracing it back into okay well what did I have for breakfast oh I actually didn't have too much this morning so of course I'm going to be a little bit hungrier today Mm. or earlier this morning I did a high intensity class Mm. instead of doing something you know more lower intensity like I didn't do yoga like I did yesterday so of course today I'm going to be a little bit hungrier because I've burnt more energy and it's way more taxing on my body so it's okay for me to have a snack so that can help out with reducing the guilt but truthfully exposure practice makes perfect goes a long way which sucks because that's the scary thing you've got to kind of do the thing to be good at the thing and overcome it like any other skill it's just a skill yeah that's such it's such good advice and I mean even for me like today for example I usually have the same lunch when we're in the office which I usually forget to bring my lunch and if I do I'll get a wrap from um, the cafe downstairs which is so yummy and today squeeze and they look so good really, really <laughs> good um, and today usually I will like eat the whole thing and I'm like still sometimes hungry but today I said I was saying to Steph I'm like I am so full today and I don't know why I haven't really done anything differently had the same I had breakfast this morning. Like everything was the same, yeah. but it's it's one of those things that uh, it takes time though to be able to trust yourself. Exactly right, yeah. and that trusting of yourself is, as you said, Lib. I think it's such good advice that you just have to practice. And it was even like me when when I was in um, when I had COVID, and then for a long time after that, or for quite a few weeks, I didn't really exercise at all. And I remember if if that was me, like, and we spoke about this in the podcast, if that was me maybe three years ago or four or five, whatever, I would have had this full anxiety that if I'm not exercising, like my body's going to completely change and like I'm going to lose all my fitness and, and I'm going to not feel good in my body and all these things. And I should and change the way I'm eating so much because I'm not burning as much exactly. or whatever. Mm-hmm. My yeah. body didn't change, not even <laughs> a little bit. Like it, it, and it was one of those things I was like, oh. <laughs> like you know it's, it's like but I was also so proud of myself because I didn't even think about it and then but it, reflecting was kind of nice to be like wow I've, I've really I've come so far um and so for people that want to start navigating intuitive eating obviously one thing you said that's great is you know prac pra- you just have to start yeah. practicing and you know you'll you'll get there but do you have any other tips for building up the mindset to kind of transition to eating intuitively, especially if I feel, feel like one of the hardest things is if you came from a um, using a calorie counting app or following a specific like super calorie deficit diet yeah. to then – because I think the thing with that is – you're not practicing intuitive eating at all with that because you're following exactly what, you know, some, and it's probably the calorie, it's probably super calorie restricted. And then you just have this fear that you don't know how to 
you know, feel like listen to your body because you listen to an app oh. instead. Or my, I, I want to don't want to say the name, but I used to track and uh, use an app to track everything. And you know, letting go of that, yeah, is really hard. So how, how do you even the internal the internal yeah. habit like of you know because I was overeating for so long, I completely ignored any you know hunger cues or anything like that. I just did whatever I wanted to do, and it took me so long to actually understand when I was full without you know overdoing it like I kind of was because of habit. I love everything you just said. I agree with everything, to be honest, as well. And it's pretty common, like almost every, even myself, I've been through that stuff and those feelings as well and all those experiences. And especially getting into someone that I, I now eat intuitively, I can, I can trust that. We'll get into IBS and how that affects intuitive eating probably soon mm-hmm. to an extent as well. Um, but to start off, I think what would be – one of the most helpful things for people and this is how my kind of philosophy around being a dietitian a practitioner like you might notice whenever I speak I try to explain it so it's a logical understanding I think that educating yourself knowledge is power and it will go a long way in helping you now kind of navigate that space because it can help you unlearn some of those really negative triggers that you might have around food and those food beliefs as well to start off with but Yes, after long-term calorie counting, restriction, um, even just logging your food in itself, Mm. yeah, like weighing your food, macros, all of that stuff, using long-term meal plans. We will kind of touch on that. We do have meal plans that we have, but realistically they're flexible and they are useful in some areas to kind of get you started as an idea, but they're not something to be using perfectly long-term because it does – it does the opposite compared to intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is literally the opposite of any other form of dieting. Like it is a non-diet approach. That's literally the other name for it. So it is about trusting yourself and your hunger cues. If you've had long-term restriction or long-term dieting um, and truthfully a lot of like eating disorder tendencies are normalised in dieting these days where they're actually not healthy but it's in society, that's that's okay they don't help you intuitively eat because they don't allow you to trust yourself. And so it'd just be the same as you at work. You're really good at your job. You trust that you're good at your job. Same with food. You've got to allow yourself to trust that your body knows what it wants and when to stop and how much you need. And it does take practice because, unfortunately, you will have to go through periods of overeating to know how that feels, undereating to know how that feels, and just kind of play around with it. And the long-term best intuitive eaters still do that. And it doesn't mean that if you're a person that's intuitive eating that you'll never binge eat again because binge eating is completely normal, right? There's a difference, though, in the sense of you knowingly doing it from yeah. enjoyment without rumination or guilt yes and having a negative kind of consequence from it in comparison to you doing it and feeling completely bad around it and ruminating on it feeling a lot of shame and then changing or restricting your day the next kind of you know day or whatever it may be or over exercising so it's about the effect it has on you as opposed to the actual what but in saying that one of the better things to start off with is regularity of eating Uh, for one, because if you have been restricting yourself or on certain kind of, I know, you're calculating in different ways, like I was just mentioning before, on a lot of diets and kind of yo-yoing a fair bit, your brain can stop trusting that when it sends you 
or says that you're hungry, that it's actually going to be fed. Mm. So there is a hormonal aspect to it as well. There is a whole other side of things called psychological hunger and they're very physical cues that you can get, but they're different to physical hunger cues. So um, with your brain after long-term restriction and you know, that mistrust that you're actually going to feed it and serve your hunger, which is what intuitive eating is all about, it will increase your hunger hormones and reduce the amount of satiety hormones that you're producing naturally just because it doesn't know and it just wants to survive for one. So soon after that regularity of eating, I think that's the first step is just making sure that you're feeding yourself regularly, especially serving your hunger. It doesn't matter necessarily around the portion initially, but actually recognising and serving is the first step for sure that will be really, really helpful as well as kind of looking into those mindful eating techniques that we've kind of talked about before but we can touch on as well if you need. Amazing. Uh, And I love it. And I love that you said that, you know, you have to kind of overeat at times to know what that feels like and undereat at times to know what that feels like to find, you know, what works for you and then that can happen. Because, yeah, I I completely – I when you said that that can still happen to someone who's got, you know, a really balanced approach to eating – I was like nodding because there is absolutely still days where I will overeat. But as you said, it's due to enjoyment and the guilt's gone, which is awesome. And it's just really nice when you get to that point from once being the complete opposite spectrum. So um, one thing you did touch on, Liv, was IBS and how that can actually be quite confusing when it comes to intuitive eating. So we are going to get to that. But first of all, I would love you to touch on what IBS is. We are so excited about the new low FODMAP recipes going into the app, which you've helped us create. Um, So what is IBS and is there any specific causes to it? Yeah. Good question. I would love to know. (laughs) (laughs) um, It's kind of, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. So that diagnosis is generally formed by a process of elimination of other causes of your symptoms. So um, to be diagnosed with that, we generally want to rule out things like irritable bowel disease or IBD, um, endometriosis, PCOS, celiac disease, other allergies, or anything else more anatomical happening in the gut that could be causing any of those symptoms as well. Um, So yeah, that's basically <laughs> what, it, what it is. It is commonly coupled with at least two other symptoms being present. So there's a lot of causes to that. There's about well, – there's hundreds of different triggers or things that would cause someone's IBS symptoms. But when we're looking at kind of the big fields, there's at least about 10 different areas that would cause it that we would then kind of look around as dietitians. So uh, that's my job is to kind of make sure that you're feeling better and how to treat it and manage it longer term. But, yeah, it's on the rise at the moment, especially after COVID, unfortunately. Yeah, not fun. One, two, three, the next question that came through a lot is stress mm. and the effect on IBS and then also the effect of anxiety on our kind of gut health in general. And I suppose IBS is a part of our gut health. It's all yeah. in the one circle yeah. <laughs> circle with my hands here <laughs> yeah. <Same area. laughs> um so with I suppose COVID was a very stressful time for a lot of people well, is that why 
IBS increased and what is the effect of, yeah, I would, I would actually, I actually don't know this. It's, I thought it was so interesting. Um, I know being stressed can have so many other effects on our body that we don't realize. So what is the effect on our gut health and IBS? Yeah. So to start off like, um, so stress in itself will affect your gut. Definitely. They're kind of like a two way street in terms of like your brain to your gut. There's a huge link between it and a massive one well, I'm sure everyone's heard of like the gut brain axis but there is a big nerve called the vagal nerve that traps your whole GIT and everything so um stress in itself to kind of one bring sec, it what's a GIT oh sorry gastrointestinal <laughs> tract yeah <laughs> sorry yeah. So the digestive that's tract that's yeah. your gut health yeah yeah okay. oh yeah so yeah. your um your gut health in general would be any of those kind of big major organs but also when we're looking at like your gut health in another area they also kind of talk about your gut microbiome so that's also your good and bad bacteria side mm-hmm. of things um so we want more, more good than bad realistically there's always going to be a ratio you can't not have any bad it's impossible but it's more about what's kind of taking preference or or yeah vice versa um but when it comes to stress really to bring it back a little minute like what would with your brain, okay, and we're going to go back to like physio. This is how I like to explain things, is like bringing it back a little bit. Your brain is not good at disassociating or, or figuring out stress, whether it's positive or negative. Like it really doesn't know, <laughs> which sounds really weird because we're so smart, but the area of the brain that recognises stress does not determine whether that is healthy or, or unhealthy. So realistically, if you are running away from an axe murderer <laughs> and you are sprinting for your life or if you are just randomly sprinting like really <laughs> there's not too much of a difference but also if you're watching the news or you're watching a lot of crime it doesn't know if that's not real realistically so you can have almost the same response so when I it comes know, to this is why i avoid all crime shows <laughs> podcasts everything yeah so i'm looking after my gut health yeah you, are. you really are yeah yeah so shit my gut health would be pretty poor <laughs> doesn't, you're not stressed about it yeah no. so that's why i've identified that i get severe anxiety watching those shows and so i don't but it, it's good to know that i also protect my gut yeah <laughs> no it's good because i'm a big like I, I I watched really yeah. I, that's basically. Do you watch I Peaky watches. Blinders? So I tried, <laughs> but I'm way I'm a little bit more hectic. Like, oh, <laughs> I know. More I feel hectic like I'm preparing than Peaky myself, Blinders. Yeah, wow, for like the worst situation. So I feel like I could fight anyone. Like I don't know why. I think it's just no, me I being like that. a little Jack Russell. Yeah, I yeah. See that. Like it's like definitely like <laughs> small man syndrome. I'm like I could take that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I did notice through COVID, I was like, why are you not sleeping very well? Okay, you just need to cut back on like the news and and what you're kind of consuming a little bit as well, and it will actually have an effect. On, on, on stress definitely so it's good to kind of check in with yourself and be aware that's that intuitive side of things coming in um, but when it comes to stress because your brain will generally just recognize an increase of stress hormones and then have an effect to, pr- to protect you stress in the brain genetically would be run like survive right but these days that's how it kind of links to addiction or um, you know binge eating and emotional eating is because those foods that we generally binge eat or emotionally eat to reduce stress do actually have an effect on increasing feel-good hormones and reducing stress hormones just like alcohol does smoking drugs they're the other three areas that would be um, kind of in that kind of group so 
With those kind of increase of stress hormones, what your body does is it goes into our fright, flight, freeze nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system, and that system shuts down your digestive tract because that's the other nervous system that we've got. So that's our like rest and digest nervous system that we use for sleep and, and food and, you know, and yeah, digestion realistically. So we don't really have both happening predominantly at once. It's not like a 50-50. It's like one takes higher than the other, vice versa. So with the increase of stress hormones, you will find that it will shut down your digestive system and it can increase symptoms of IBS because of that gut motility kind of and the transit you know, gets affected obviously as well. So you can get more bloating, more changes in bowel movements. If it's acute stress, generally you'll find that you'll get, you know, a bit more loose in the loo. If it's more of a long-term chronic stress, you might find that you get more constipated and find it harder to go. Um, But yeah, more pain, abdominal distension, headaches, nausea, reflux, those side of things are really, really common from stress. So stress is obviously really good for us and it's yeah. really good that we live such stressful lives that it's it's funny because something we like need stress to more. is it, we do need to meditate <laughs> more. Something like stress is something that I think we have all become so accustomed to. It's like a part of life, which it shouldn't be, but me thinking I'm like stress is just a part of my job. Like that's just the thing that, you know, like so it's kind of it's not even abnormal to feel highly stressed. I, mm. I just think we're so accustomed to it. So I think it's very important to remind ourselves that it's actually not a great place, a mindset to be in. And to, you know, I think sometimes for me, especially listening to all of those physical effects on your health, that is very eye-opening for me. And for me to think, okay, it's not a great place to be. It's not just that you might feel stress in your mind. It's like your body's also feeling it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there used to be a really good ad, like I think, I'm pretty old, so like maybe a decade ago. So a lot of you probably don't remember this, but um, it was stress is the new smoking. Mm. And then it went through all the different kind of effects that stress in itself long term can have on your body. And it was really interesting and then compared it to like a black and white kind of thing to smoking. And yeah, it, it does have an effect long term. But I mean, also at the same time, some things you can't avoid. Yeah, of course. But it's more around like... Yeah. My perspective, and I will say this to a lot of my patients, um, but a lot of my patients that are seeing me for like IBS and digestive issues. Are super stressed people. Yeah. And and often like reducing stress is a major kind of thing that actually Mm. improves everything. And and realistically, there's no intolerance or any issue. It's just you have, it's a shit show out there and we really need to kind of manage it a bit. Or how do we make more things fun? Like how can we make this task that's just not as fun? How can we kind of add something in? that makes it a little bit more enjoyable Mm. and reduces stress around it. So like really easy one is like music, like put on some happy music. Yeah. Right. Like sing in the car. Like, I don't know. I love it. I love my old school, like my parents' music and stuff like that. I love (laughs) nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And like really old school, like 2000s beats. Yeah. And I love it. Um, So singing, all that stuff's fun, but also thinking about like exercise as well. Like, are you doing a heap of hit and that yeah, style of training? Yeah, a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, is that making you happy or is that actually kind of building you up a little bit or at a certain time of day? Like, is mm. there something else that you can find really fun? Like, I used to do a lot of weights and hit stuff and now I'm like, I love dancing. Like, mm. I'm just going to do it because <laughs> I'm like, it's fun and I can laugh and it's, it's yeah. actually a stress relief. Like, yeah. why don't we just make some little kind of changes to make things more enjoyable and that can in itself do it. It's redefining. We've spoken about this as well. It's redefining, for example, with that workout 
thing. What a workout looks what like. What a workout looks yeah. like and what a good workout looks like. Like Instagram makes good workouts look like you have to be so sweaty oh. and you have to like kill yourself for like 45 minutes. That's not the point of working out. No. And it's not a definition of a good or bad workout by your sweat beats. No. no. Like it's not. And so I love I loved that you said that because I'm exactly the same. Sometimes if I get up early like and I have a coffee and then I try and do like a really high intensity workout, I can't do it because I just feel like yeah. I'm just on adrenaline and it's just Pilates is better or yoga or whatever it might be. So that's that was a really good point to make. Yeah. Oh, redefining – it's like what we spoke about with Kath Ebbs when we had her on. Um, I used to look at yoga the same way. I used to not see yoga as a workout or like if I was going to make time for yoga – um, it, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't count it as a web, uh, workout because like when my Apple watch was tracking it, it was like hardly any calories. And this is, this is quite a few years ago. Um, whereas like now, because I see what it does for both my, you know, physical self, but also my emotional and mental self, like I do make time for it and I would absolutely consider it a workout or whatever, because I've redefined what that means for me, what working out or moving my body means for me. And I just, yeah, I love what you, you said there. Um, well, the next question was about, you know, if you do, if you do have IBS, um, is a low-fat um, fo- <laughs> We We got you. <laughs> low, sorry, Liv. Low-fat is just a fad. <laughs> it's all, there's no research. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No laughing to be had. It's obviously very serious. No, it's quite funny. A low FODMAP uh, diet, the only way to deal with it. Obviously, you've now just debunked that question to say that, you know, dealing with your stress might actually be a way of um, dealing with your IBS symptoms. But is there anything else? Yeah. So, in, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the low FODMAP diet will work if you have a FODMAP intolerance. Yeah. And in saying that, a lot, what a big th- issue, it is a new diet. Yeah. So, um, even in the last year, it's constantly being redeveloped. Yep. So it's it's new. And, and, and with IBS, it's actually generally like a new kind of area. Um, that's that's why I'm a dietitian realistically is because I suffered from it really badly mm-hmm. from a teenager, from when I got my period, hormone changes and just IBS, and there was no information out there. So the low FODMAP diet's amazing, but it will only work if that is the Your cause issue. Yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely not the only approach, and it's not my first approach ever when it comes to IBS. Initially, it would probably be looking into and ticking off some of those other areas if you haven't already with your doctor, just to rule them out, and then kind of looking at how your meals are in your day and um, eating more mindfully. Because things like you know chewing your food is the first kind of form of breaking down food for digestion. So if you're eating really quickly, you're swallowing more air, you'll probably find that you're going to get more bloated. You're going to probably have a little bit more pain. You might have more reflux. If you're not chewing your food, again, same kind of issues. Um, If you're not sitting down to eat, it's really difficult for your brain to recognise that you are eating and then that's the priority right now to swap into your rest and digest nervous system from your stressed nervous system, the sympathetic. So we want to make sure that you're kind of having any of those things kind of starting first. But yeah, the low FODMAP diet, the issue with it is a lot of people will do it alone and it's very difficult to do without support. So if you are, you know, you've done a bit of research or you've started it and you haven't sought help from a dietitian, that 
is like qualified in the area of, of IBS and FODMAPs, I'd highly recommend it because it shouldn't be a long-term thing. You should basically go through the intestine phase and then reintroduce everything that, you know, it isn't causing any issues as well. But the other areas that commonly would affect people um, are really high-fibre or low-fibre diets. Um, so I'll see that when someone all of a sudden turns vegan, mm right, from like a normal diet, then they go vegan, huge increase of fibre really, really quickly. A lot of IBS symptoms can come around from that because your body's just not used to kind of digesting it Um, or you're adding in a lot of new foods that you haven't really had a lot of before. And so that, yeah, like legumes and things like that, (laughs) which are high in protein, they can really affect people. Um, A lot of people that struggle specifically with like bloating and gas, that side of things, as opposed to like bowel change, um, you know, high gas-producing foods like legumes and cruciferous vegetables. So they're all your, like, broccoli and kale and Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and cabbage and things can affect people as well. Um, but there are other kind of bigger areas that are more around, like, the chemical intolerance as well. So that's really looking at things at a minute level and how your body's reacting to those, which is completely separate. And a lot of people do get affected by, like, high-fat foods, caffeine, spice, lots of acidic foods as well. So it depends on your symptoms. They really tell you or tell me as a dietitian what to look for, what it's more likely to be as well. Mm. Yeah. Super interesting. And then, I mean, you mentioned bloating. Yeah. So with bloating, there was a question that came in about how bloating, if you have IBS, can be super severe. Mm. Before we go into this, though, I just wanted to touch on bloating. So we're not talking about the bloating that is very natural. That, that like, you, you know, get every if, day. Exactly. <laughs> that you eat after you eat a meal, you're, you know, sometimes we bloat a tiny bit. Or actually, most or of the time, like, it's I pretty much impossible. Much, I don't know, mango or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. completely normal. And also, if I have not had lunch and then I have lunch, I bloat a tiny bit because my lunch is in my stomach. And that's yeah. okay. And I think for me, bloating is quite a. Um, something that when I was in a very bad mindset I remember I used to just google YouTube videos on Mm. like how to reduce bloating and there were like people telling you how that are not accredited health professionals. I stopped chewing gum at one point because someone told me it was the air that I was sucking in when I was chewing gum that was making me bloated. <laughs> yeah, so there we, that's probably from one of the YouTube videos I watched. Honestly. So we're, not, we're not talking about normal bloating because yeah. there's bloating that's completely normal. If you eat a meal, your stomach fills up. Like that's okay. Yeah. But with severe, severe bloating, so if you have IBS, someone asked about how to then make sure you're still eating consistent meals because obviously if you're really bloated, it's kind of harder to eat yeah what is your advice on that yeah it can be really uncomfortable definitely and it definitely can affect you mentally for sure like yeah I think um so step one definitely what we're saying before make sure you seek treatment get diagnosed that in itself should if you've got a diagnosis reduce your bloating in itself like that's the main symptom but if you haven't and you're or you don't want to and that's okay check in and see like with your bloating some people do just find that they get you know a lot of visual bloating or it's quite regular but other people get a lot of pain with it and that can be a sign of like abdominal distension which is another different type of symptom so that one in itself like I've I get that really, really bad from my um, intolerances if I eat it, but I know how to manage it now. But some people find that they have even gone to hospital thinking they're having like a heart attack or something along those lines because of the severity of the pain. So it can be really, really bad. In those cases, I'd say definitely go and 
find some professional mm. advice of people that you trust. But how to manage it in general, I would realistically say make sure that you sit down to eat. Even if it's a banana, sit down because automatically you're going to switch on your digestive tract and reduce the amount of gas that gets produced. You're also going to start chewing a bit better and watch the pace too so that you aren't swallowing air but also you're not swallowing massive chunks because um, really bloating will likely come from the gas being kind of broken down. When we're breaking down carbohydrates or plants with high in fibre, there is an element of either water or gas being produced. And if it's more gas producing, you will find that generally we're going to get a bit more bloated. But a big one would be um, regularity for one. So even if you want to go for smaller meals more regularly, every like two to three hours, just to make sure that you're having food and make sure that you also have some prepared easy, convenient options as well because the things that you know that aren't necessarily going to stuff you up a little bit too, just always on hand. Um, I find that people that are really bloated, there is a bit of like a, a disconnect between your hunger and when you've got IBS, pain because it sucks and pain in itself won't allow your brain to really recognise uh, yeah, it. Recognize hungry, it. Yeah. It'll kind of get overrided. Um, and so even setting alarms. Like there's a really good app called Habit Ball. I use it for so many things actually. <laughs> you can use it for whatever you want. But I, I think that it's really useful for remembering to eat and setting it up mm-hmm. to start off with and see if that actually does improve things because generally it will. Um, that you can just get like kind of a notification like Instagram on your phone. It's not embarrassing if you're at work or anything like that or having to have an alarm set up. But just that remembering regularly to have smaller portions of food, chew it really well, sit down to eat and um, really watch out for having like big portions of raw foods, which I think is a bit of a trend at the moment. So like large, large portions of nuts and, um, you know, celery and carrot sticks with hummus, big portions of those types of things, even just start to opt for some more cooked foods and Softer foods through the day too can actually help out with reducing bloating because it reduces that amount of fibre that can produce gas and exacerbate it as well. So regularity, smaller meals, chew it and watch out for yeah overdoing your, your raw foods. <laughs> it sounds like you've semi half answered the next question that I'm about to ask, but I wondered and obviously the community has wondered it because it came through from them. But um, is there any actually specific foods that would help with reducing any of the you know really uncomfortable symptoms of IBS? Like you mentioned, cook, cooked foods. Is yeah, that- yeah, yep. So, or oh, in the new um, plan that I've got, and recipes and things like that were developed. I have made them all low fat map in itself because a lot of people do find that they're on that diet and they need some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can even, if if you're not sure if you've got IBS or not, you can still eat them and see if they, you know, improve things or not mm-hmm. for you. But we've also got in there some other areas that would commonly trigger people. So yeah. We've got some raw ones that are higher in fibre that can help out with certain symptoms, like improving your bowel movements as well. Um, but we've also got some cooked kind of lower fibre or lower insoluble fibre, which is like a really um, – that roughage kind of fibre, lower insoluble that can affect bloating and things mm. like that, two options. Um, but other areas that would commonly kind of – was that the question? Sorry. Trigger. It was like just if there was any magic foods out there that could help with symptoms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, probiotics definitely help. I mean, if you want to do a supplement form, it's not going to improve things long term. They don't 
they kind of give you transient benefits. So it's kind of like anything, the, the moment you stop them, you probably find that your symptoms that are getting managed by it will stop because it doesn't, if they don't change your gut microbiome long-term if you're taking something like Inner Health Plus, but they can be really useful situationally or to take. Um, we actually do recommend if you are doing the low FODMAP diet to be on a probiotic long-term in itself because it can reduce the amount of variety that you have. But live probiotics are the best way to go around that as well. So like your yogurt, your kefir, your sauerkraut, um, in it, they're really, really good. <laughs> um, and then also things that can automatically help from like a symptom management perspective. Some people find that peppermint tea does help, but there's peppermint capsules that are like oil that you can get called Mintec. Very, very cheap. They can help out with like gas bloating. Yeah, just... Yeah, almost like a Band-Aid side of things if you do need that and you're going out. Mm. Um, if it's reflux, I'd highly recommend just keeping some quickies on you. They've also got a bit of peppermint in there too, which can help out with bloating and nausea and that side of things as well. Um, but in itself, what I would look for for improving symptoms longer term is looking at, one, your food variety. Mm. So are you having a variety of plants? Are you eating the similar things? Are you having a lot of one thing per meal? So, um, you know, some people will have like a cauliflower roast mm. and most of their plate is cauliflower. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably going to stuff you up. Mm. Yep. Um, it, cauliflower in itself can cause some bloating and things like that. Not that it's bad, but only for certain people that that's a major trigger for. But in itself, it can find that you're getting a lot of one type of nutrient or fiber. And if you have IBS, yep, sure, that might be a bit bad um, for you. So with symptoms of IBS, it's important to kind of recognize that it will not be you've eaten and therefore that is the issue. Mm. It's a commonly it's a delayed reaction. So there's a thing called the gastroclonic reflex. So basically your brain recognizes that food's coming into your mouth. Like it literally sees you have a banana again, say, and you're about to eat it. There is a reflex that basically says that your brain says, Hey, food's coming in, let's push food out. So that's why, you know, often we'll wake up in the morning, we'll have breakfast and we have a nice Little regular poo. <laughs> That's why every time I'm feeding Harvey, he's farting. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we better get this going. So it makes sense. Like you're putting food in, we've got to have some come yeah. out. So a lot of people with IBS, they'll kind of think, oh, well, I ate bread and now I have pain or now I've had diarrhea or now I've had these symptoms often is not the meal that you've just had or the food you've just had because of that reflex you're then having that food pushed down and therefore you might have symptoms from what you've had eight hours ago you know earlier this morning whatever it may be so there is a bit of a lag period there that can get really confusing for people too generally I'd say the major things to kind of be mindful of as well when it comes to IBS would be watch how many meals that you're having out and that aren't necessarily prepared by you too because many people find that just having the randomness and like the um yeah things being a bit more sporadic mm. or generally with foods that we eat out really regularly are really high in fat and that in itself can also exacerbate symptoms too so it's harder to kind of figure out the root cause so what about getting nutrients in this was something that came up quite a lot and I don't have IBS, so I, I imagine this is because there's specific foods you maybe need to avoid and so people are worried about not getting enough nutrients in, in the diet that they're having. Can you talk to that? And then also within that, with the recipes that are launching on to kick the new low FODMAP recipes that you have done for us, which yeah. is very exciting, <laughs> um, can you talk to that and I suppose some of the nutrients that 
uh, in those recipes and that I'm guessing it is possible to eat a high nutrient diet if you are following a low FODMAP because you have IBS. Yeah. Is that right? Is that a, is that yeah, a good yeah. assumption? Yeah, make? yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I promise they're all good. They're all healthy. Um, don't worry, um, it's not just fried. Imagine it's like fried potato. The whole thing would be high in fats. That's so good. <laughs> it's just, yeah, just sweet potato chips the whole time. Um, so just, again, I guess um, preparation is key. If you know what your is causing your IBS symptoms and you've been diagnosed great (laughs) avoid those (laughs) um um, realistically that would be the first step it's really difficult if you don't know what's causing it to be honest because if you're consistently say having diarrhea you're probably malabsorbing food and regardless of you having a really you know rich lots of variety nutritious diet it's probably not being absorbed because you can see it in the toilet so a really big step would be even just for recognising what's going on. So if I was to recommend the steps to figure out what symptoms they are, if you're going to go seek professional help, would be number one, like look at your poo. Like a lot of people say, oh, I'm constipated, but they're going every day. And so clinically I I wouldn't necessarily classify them as constipation. However, when they tell me what it looks like, often it would be classified then as constipation. Or if they say going every third day, but every third day it is like watery, urgent diarrhoea, I wouldn't necessarily classify it again as constipation. Even though it feels like it, it would more likely be diarrhoea. So those symptoms can be really useful in telling you what exactly the root cause is and getting you know treated really quickly. Um, but also just n- like noting down, other kind of symptoms that you might have as well. Like are you having issues with swallowing or are you getting rashes or are you getting headaches or are you having mood change, sleep issues, um, nausea, vomiting, pain is, you know, is your bloating up the top, is it down the bottom, whereabouts is your pain? So all of those things can be really, really useful as well. Um, but when we're looking at, I guess, trying to get those nutrients in after you've been diagnosed, really, really useful to always become prepared. There's so many really good convenient meals and snack options available now for IVS. And I think like about five years ago, even just being celiac, it was so bloody hard to find anything on the shelves. Now, so many things are like gluten-free. Um, there's also some really good online brands, I guess, or companies that are specifically low FODMAP in Australia. There's one called Foddies. We've even got a cafe in Albert Park in Melbourne um, that's dedicated Amazing. to it. I know. If you haven't had their donuts, far out. Oh, my God. They're so good. Um, and they do, like, takeaway meals and things. Um, there's also a dietitian owned food service, like, food delivery company, kind of like You Foods, called We Feed You, that's specifically for IBS, celiacs, low FODMAP, chemical intolerances and things, um, as well as Dynamic. They're another really healthy meal company that do low FODMAP options as well, as a lot of, like, celiac options too. So definitely have some, like, backup contingency meals and snacks available for yourself for sure. But also just as, like, a from a nutrient perspective, realistically, I'd say in IBS, that would be the one of the only areas that I would more so recommend preparing food earlier. So doing a bit of a meal prep. Um, it's easier to be more flexible if you aren't struggling with symptoms of IBS. But if you are, preparation's key. Having really good handy food available and the yummy options that you actually feel like and you want to eat, 
even in the cupboard, but even at your workplace, in your car, really useful because you'll generally find that you will get caught out. Mm -hmm. It can be really difficult as well if you are in a job where you have to eat out really regularly because of whatever situation you're in or traveling too. So making sure that you've got a couple backup options and ideas and just really quick go-tos for meals if you do come back late. Like I'm a big promoter of breakfast for dinner (laughs) in those situations as well. Like generally people don't react a lot to protein and eggs and there's some really, you know, a lot of your basic vegetables and fruits and things like that people generally are pretty damn good with most of the time. So making sure you've got some of those really quick and easy options on offer, hugely important. Yeah, so with the recipes that we've um, developed for IBS, and I have made them all low FODMAP just because I think it's easier and so we can like kind of cater for more people. Yeah, so I guess that they would be under the same guidelines as we would for our other recipes as well in terms of, you know, how to balance them and things and the priority of having higher protein, higher kind of plant-rich foods. But what we would do in those recipes and a little bit different is I've provided a few different options for different areas. So like some of them are kind of really, really high in fiber and really kind of um, focusing on getting those regularity of bowel movements. Other ones are just yummy options that you might not be having or missing if you do have IBS or you are on the low FODMAP diet. So just to kind of give you some tools and yeah, just some guidance around how you could even alter these to make it home with the other recipes too. So love it. <laughs> and that's so helpful. And that that's what I mean, I know we've, we've spoken a bit about meal plans today and recipes and that's what Kick is all about. We're not here. If you're new to eating healthy and you don't know where to start, then absolutely the meal plan in there is, you know, fantastic to follow if that's going to help you. But we've also got so many recipes in the app and including the new low FODMAP recipes um, that are launching, which is so exciting. And it's all about just finding because we all end up making you know the same few recipes and it's kind of so when you're in the supermarket at 6 30 p.m you haven't prepared dinner you're tired it's so you can then think I've got this kind of knowledge base of healthy recipes that I know are really you know nutritious filling delicious easy I'm not going to be in my kitchen for three hours tonight that I can make for my family or for myself or whatever it might be Um, so you have that option and that's what the recipes and, and the meal plan in general is all about it's kind of teaching us to you know eventually start eating intuitively if that's going to work for you but just so you have the recipes and I think because I think if we have the same because I go through stages where I have like the same thing twice a week and then I then I'll get over it and then I'll go and you know find a new thing and swap it in but I think it's you know we are creatures of habit and that's okay that's that's but just if you can use our you know if you do use keep it cleaner the recipes and the meal plan is there to help you build up your personal it would database of recipes yeah, in your brain that you think of exactly yeah. and so you know to also building up like this is how you make a healthy meal up because obviously Liv, you, you check all the recipes and yeah. you're, you're a dietitian which is incredible and so they are they are nutritious and I think it's just a really good place to start yeah. um, and get ideas because thinking of things to make for dinner as an adult as a kid yeah. I was like oh my god I can't wait to be an adult because like I get to choose what I have for dinner every night and now I'm like oh <laughs> what are we gonna have for dinner <laughs> so that is why I really love using the meal plan um, to for ideas and it's fantastic and I know that you've checked it and so with the low FODMAP recipes as well it's kind of some things for people who might always think they have to eat the same kind of two or three meals just some new ideas I think with IBS as well we have or even like low FODMAP eating but generally with IBS people just go back to being really really simple like no flavor either so these ones also like a lot of flavor but aligned to help you out with digestion (laughs) so yeah it's actually tasty amazing well on that note 
I mean, I don't, we, we haven't ended an episode on IBS before, but here. <laughs> <laughs> on the IBS note. Um, thank you so much, Liv. It was so nice to, to chat to you and chat to you in person. I know. It was fantastic. We absolutely love having you on the podcast. You are like just a book of knowledge in a human <laughs> form. Um, so we really appreciate it. And we also want to do, there was a lot of questions that came in around, and we'd love to hear from you who are listening um, around, if you would like to know about menstrual cycles and eating, I think that could be an amazing thing to have you back for to chat about. Yeah. And I a lot this. of questions came in about that. So let us know if you would like that episode uh, and leave. Hopefully, you'll want to come <laughs> back. Like, let us know if you would like no, to come I mean, back with us. I'd be keen. I just did like a presentation on this this week. Oh, so, yeah, okay, love well, it. we'll absolutely it's do really that. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. This was so fun. Oh, also, quickly before we go, leave, tell us how can our community find you? <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be sorry. sorry. No. <laughs> hard to find. So I am on Instagram at No Worries Nutrition. That's my little Is there handle. any dots in there? No. There is. Thank you. I don't even know my own. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you have dots in there. <laughs> no worries. Dot nutrition. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Um, and I've also, my e- by email, if you want to like ask questions or you want to come and have a chat, it's basically no worries, nutrition, no dots at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, you can come see me in the clinics. I'm bloody everywhere in Melbourne, realistically. <laughs> like, you will not not see me. Um, um, but yeah, I'm, yeah, based in Melbourne. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know what to say. No, I'm it. meant to have a, a website and it has been launched and I keep just not, not, um, yeah, I keep taking it away from public view. So that's my fault. <laughs> that will be up soon. And it's basically the same, same name as my Instagram anyway. So. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Liv. And if you do want to hear more about Keep It Cleaner, you can follow us on Instagram at Keep It Cleaner, at Steph Smith, at Laura.Henshaw at noworries.nutrition as well. <laughs> um, and our website is www.keepitcleaner.com and we have got a seven-day free trial on there if you want to give Kik a go. And there's new low FODMAP recipes. Yeah, yeah. very exciting. <laughs> we'll chat to you next week.